Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the albumreview.net podcast. I'm Greg Potters. Thanks to all you listeners out there for your interaction and feedback. Your feedback is much appreciated and it helps me to always improve. As we start to wrap up 2022, there's a lot to be grateful for. One, our friends, two, our family, and three, all the new music we heard during this year. In today's episode, this is a special one. This is part one of a two-part episode where I'm joined by singer-songwriter, musician, Jason Myrick. I'm so pumped to have Jason on the podcast again. Jason hails from the Buffalo, New York area and was a guest on episode 27 of the podcast where he and I had a lengthy discussion about his debut album, Best Way to Be Free. So after this episode, go back and listen to episode number 27 to hear more of Jason's music and his journey. So for a special edition of this review, we're going to celebrate the remixed, recut, super deluxe release of the Beatles' 1966 masterpiece, Revolver. Giles Martin, the son of original Revolver producer George Martin, remixed this album, adding hours of outtakes, rare cuts, conversations, and additional tracks taken from the 1966 recording session. So in total, the Super Deluxe issue, which came out in October of 2022, consists of five discs, for those of you out there who think of albums still in terms of records or CDs. Today, we're going to play you parts of the unfinished outtakes of several songs taken from the 2022 remix before they were completed. Then we will play you a clip of the final version to hear how the songs transformed into what they eventually became. And in between there, Jason and I are going to wax poetic about everything we know and feel about the Beatles and this album. So without further ado, please enjoy part one of this two-part episode, our review of the Beatles' Revolver. As kind of my own personal disclaimer, it, I don't consider myself like an expert on the Beatles. Um, this is like, you know, I kept on. Well, I was doing other, I was doing interviews with you and some other people, and I'm like, you know, the question, like the most influential record, and the, you know, like what's your favorite band, and so, and it's like, I'm just such a, a fan of so much music that it really. It for me to 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 say one specific record or really break it down, and, and I know you're the same type of music fan as me, um, is tough. It's it's pretty. It's, it's, it's yeah. very tough because for me it's situational. It's like what mood am I in that day? So my you know. But when I kept uh, I kept looping back, and then you start kind of rewinding the tape in your head a little bit to the like what really had that kind of impact what what was really the record i knew it had to be you know this one near the top right just because i remember hearing it when i was a little kid i remember you know kind of carrying those uh, memories of it all the way through like middle school and you know and i had lots of friends who didn't get it at all and for some reason it like spoke directly to me a lot of these songs so i, I mean yeah so it's one of my very favorite records yeah. so but i don't claim to be any sort of musicologist like high level expert like I i'll can't... be the judge of that i bet you you know a lot more than i do and i bet you're gonna be able to offer i don't know i can tell you how the music here. makes me feel when i listen that's to... all that, yeah that's all that matters i had so much fun diving into this revolver was maybe like my fifth or sixth favorite beatles album and now it's climbed and yeah. i really now truly and i'll get into this i'm gonna say it probably ad nauseum in this review but like I, i'm really a believer now that it it, it really kicked off more of the psychedelia like this and you know maybe like pet sounds and stuff like that because obviously as you know it was before sergeant pepper before we like get into it what are you getting into these days music wise or when are you releasing any new stuff yeah um good question i i've been working on a record the follow-up to the first record which was june 2021 yeah and i went to be free one of my faves it's way to be free yeah and um then you know i kind of promoted that and kind of ran, let that run its course for a little bit. And then I got back into the studio and 
recorded a handful of songs because I had about 12 songs earmarked for the next project. And then I kind of tapped the brakes or, you know, went out and, and started playing more live. So yeah. big gap um, between the beginning, the first handful of songs, and then I just I stepped back from the studio and then I went out and started to anywhere that would listen to the songs. I would I kind of got in the mode of um, going out to even open mics and, and things like that. That generated some um, interest. And then I got uh, started to get, thankfully, um, very thankfully, um, that people started, you know, I started getting some calls to come and play. Nice. So I've been I did that. I needed to do that to see, you know, because the the record itself is very. There's a lot of layers to it, right? You know, there's a big difference between the Spotify or the streaming experience, or the it, it needed to figure out how to present all that stuff live to see if it was going to come across, right? And I committed to to doing that, and so that split my time. Then just recently, well, a couple months ago, went back into the studio. September, late August, September, and started. And then I, I've done another bunch of songs. And right now we're doing, getting into the more post-production things. We're cleaning some things up. But I've got 10 tracks recorded. Nice. And yeah, so, and I'm excited about it. Uh, going to work with the same drummer, the same awesome. bass player. John Calvin Abney is going to play guitar. Nice. We're still, we're st but now we're running into holidays. We got a little log right. jam because it's like to get everybody in the same room and the at the holidays is like yeah. so. We're, but I'm not, I'm not pushing so hard that we're going to settle on the way. So I hope that we can get through a bunch of that stuff in December. Get everything kind of ready for you know mix master the final mix and mastering hopefully by the first of the year and nice. start to yeah and then i'll start to do which i think is more typical these days is to just release one song at a time you know do that seems to be the formula yep yep five or six singles and then probably full album you know release hopefully april may at the latest june and then get out there and hopefully i can uh continue to get better at what i'm doing when i play them live and and that's the plan so, Dude, I'm so, so yeah. I, like I, it was like yesterday or the day before, but I just I, I you know, you share so much on on Instagram and I stumbled across something where you were literally just noodling. And, dude, I'm telling you, and this is like not it. It wasn't just a, 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 a one, two or three time thing. Like almost every time I stumble across one of like one of your noodling sessions, I'm literally like jamming out to it. And I'm like, go, 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 like, keep doing it, keep doing it, you know? And it's just, it's just so awesome. So people need to check, check you out on, on Instagram and promise that you'll, whenever you get everything situated and you get stuff out there, come back on and we got to talk about the new album too. All right. Well, today Jason's joining me. We're going to talk about a very special album, 1966's Revolver recorded by the Beatles. So released on August 5th, 1966, this was not the same year, but the same day as my wedding anniversary. Revolver is the Beatles' seventh studio album. And like Jason and I were talking earlier, perhaps the most groundbreaking. So let me explain. By the end of 65, the Beatles were already dominating the world, right? I mean, they were just, they were, well, as John said, bigger than Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but who thought that they could take it to even the next level? You know, their their previous album, Rubber Soul, it had been embraced by the establishment and the counterculture. So band member John Lennon, he had some serious emotional pain from his childhood that he was looking to release. And that year he noted was the year 1965 that he'd also found LSD. And this would play a really a big part in writing and producing their next album, Revolver. So when recording began in April of 66, the band wanted to challenge their audience with this next record. And in many ways, they explored even alienating their audience. As, as I had noted in my review of the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds, 1965 and 1966 were years when many musicians and artists just started to shift from kind of recording albums that were singles-focused to focusing more on 
concept albums where the songs are carefully and strategically placed throughout the record, not just, you know, smashed together. So after the Beatles canceled a proposed film project by their manager, Brian Epstein, they found themselves with more free time than they'd had. It was about three months worth. And this was the most free time they'd had since about 1962. Therefore, they had an extraordinary amount of time to prepare for this new album. And so during this time, while recording was active, they also spent it doing what I would call exploratory musical research. <laughs> For the first six months of 1966, the band attended concerts in London by musical acts such as Stevie Wonder, Bob Dylan, The Mamas and the Papas, Roy Orbison, The Love and Spoonful, and Ravi Shankar. So you can see where some of the influences come from. John and Paul were also invited to attend a private listening party for the Beach Boys Pet Sounds album that year. Jason, I was a late bloomer to some of the deeper Beatles albums, although I'd heard 90% of the tracks already on Revolver, but it wasn't until I was, I remember I was driving my then two and four-year-old sons to daycare every day that I really fell in love with this album and I realized it's true influence. Remember, this album came before Sgt. Pepper's and I had Revolver in my CD player. So yes, I had a CD player in my car, I actually still do. And so when I would grab a CD and put it in my car from my house collection, it would usually stay in that stereo for months. So as you can imagine, for at least six months, Every day during that drive, Revolver, Revolver, Revolver. Jason, do you remember around the first time that you heard this album? Not specific to the, uh, Revolver, but here's what ended up happening with me. My sister had a, a awesome record collection, and I remember being told that I specifically, and I know I've told you the story before, Greg, but the one thing that she would always say when she went out was, don't touch my records. <laughs> so... And that probably was one of the uh, blessing right there because, of course, I was, you know, four years younger than her and she went out quite a bit. And I and I thought, man, I got to get in there. So yeah. Revolver came a little bit after for me, but the first couple records, she had the Beatles, the 67 to 70. And I don't know if you're familiar, if you have these in your collection, but this is what I kind of cut my teeth on the 62 to 66 yep. and then the 67 to 70. I listened to those records so many times. Revolver actually is fairly underrepresented on, on these records. Side four of this first one, the 62 to 66, because they must have been putting this together. I'm not sure exactly when, but the song In My Life was on that. And I fell in love with that. And then the second, to last, second to last cut on this double album, was Eleanor Rigby. Okay. And if I if I wasn't hooked by then, those two songs I think had a bigger impact than I even ever gave them credit before until I really started to dig deep and think about uh, my musical influences and and what might have really got me hooked. You know, and I was I was pretty young when I started like getting into this stuff. So Eleanor Rigby on that compilation record, that greatest hits, she also had the sixty-seven to seventy. And if you look at that, that's that's this giant catalog of just amazing songs. Right. And then for me, I had a neighbor up the road who ended up being a good friend, and he had an older brother too, and he was the biggest Beatles fanatic I've ever I've ever met, and to this day, if I run uh, across him again, um, I'd have to thank him too because he was so into it. And one of his favorite records was Revolver, and and you know everything. This was a jumping off point. These these greatest hits records, right? And you know Rubber Soul, kind of digging into that. My older brother was a huge like it was hands down his favorite record was the White Album. Nice. Um, we listened to that. We'd drive around in the car and listen to that. And he was five years older than me. But I remember hearing these songs over and over again. They're kind of ingrained in my brain, you know? But uh, Totally. Yeah. So I think, you know, In My Life, which is Rubber Soul, Eleanor Rigby, and we're, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Yep, yep. Sure. we're going to get to so, that for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Thing, yeah, and I, and I think that it was at a time when I was too young to understand any of the any of what the 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 writers were talking about in terms of like same how it was linked to the psychedelic you know birth of this and, and how it was linked to to all these all i knew is how it made me feel 
Right. right? And I and I and I just identified with it. And then as I got older, I started to get more interested in like the backstory. And that's fun too. Kind of dug around a little bit and, and well, we're gonna talk about this. Yeah, Revolver would be their last album before they retired from touring the road forever. Things just got too big and too crazy, as many of fans know, to the point where they were scared regularly for their safety while they were on tour. Klaus Vorman, bass player for the band Manfred Mann, and several sessions and recordings with members of the Beatles on their solo albums, designed the album cover. Vorman was inspired by the black ink drawings from this guy named Aubrey Beardsley, a late 1800s author and illustrator, and Vorman went on to actually win a Grammy for Best Album Cover in 1967 for Revolver, which I thought was really cool. As I mentioned a moment ago, Revolver was produced by George Martin. He's a pretty famous guy, and uh, he's passed on now, but a lot of people know he produced a lot of the Beatles records. It was produced at EMI Studios in London, which is now called Abbey Road Studios. And Revolver, Jason mentioned it earlier, it really stretched the boundaries of popular music in 65 and 66. Like, I'm going to mention it again, the Beach Boys Pet Sounds. Revolver really transformed general studio recording, bringing with it the 1960s counterculture and the really the, 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 the creation of what would later be identified as psychedelic rock and progressive rock. Paul McCartney's really his like feverish avant-garde or forward-looking drive to go too far, too quickly. It would just be tempered a little bit as the management and band members weren't really sure how a psychedelic album would be received by the public. But, you know, nevertheless, in March of 66, there were hints of the Beatles' urge to challenge and even alienate their fans, which I think is just awesome. Like, who wants to alienate their fans? <laughs> I just think that that's just so ballsy. There's actually one photo from that period, Jason, that I found the first time the group took any risks with their public persona. And in the photo, the band's pictured wearing white coats covered with slabs of meat and blood surrounded by dismembered dolls. <laughs> Have you ever seen that photo? Yeah, that's the uh, the cover photo for the, and then the album cover subsequently got pulled from the shelves because it was it. Yeah. in bad taste. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 So obviously, you know, that and many other signs were pointing towards Revolver was going to be a really different Beatles album. Jason just mentioned a minute ago for a special edition to this review, we're going to celebrate the remixed, recut, super deluxe release of Revolver. Giles Martin, the son of, of George, the original Revolver producer, he remixed this album, adding hours of outtakes, rare cuts, conversations, and additional tracks during the 66 recording session. So in total, Jason, the super deluxe issue, you got to get it. It, it, it. You know, even though you can get it on Spotify uh, or any of the other platforms, it came out October 28th, which is 2022 that we're recording this. And it's five discs for those of you who still think of albums in terms of records or CDs. You got to listen to the early takes of each song before they were completed. They then listen to a clip of the final version to hear how the songs progressed into what they eventually became. All right, Jason, the song, excuse me, the album kicks off with Taxman. Harley. One, two, three, four. One, two. Let me tell you how it will be. There's one for you, 19 for me. Cause I'm the tax man. George Harrison, with some lyrical contributions from John, Taxman is a story, really, or a confession by George of his feelings towards how they felt about the, I found out, the, the HMRC, or Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs Office, which is really kind of the UK version of the IRS in the United States. The band realized during this time that their finances were tighter than they'd originally expected, and with more income, obviously, came higher taxes, hence the additional motivation by George to write the song. So Jason, like, what are your thoughts about Taxman? Well, when I listen to Taxman, it, it always kind of is a bit of a, it's a message they're trying to send. Right. 
when I listen to it, totally. every time every time I put the record on or put it on Spotify, it's always like when Taxman hits, I feel like they're they're trying to make a point. Yeah. You know, whatever whatever kind of like feelings they were having, being overwhelmed by the fans and 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 no one ever. I feel I, I just feel like they're ready to make a statement that they're going to play some rock and roll here. You know, totally. some happier things. You know that totally. riff. You know, and and I feel like that puts me right in the right frame of mind. I remember when I, you know, first getting into the record and uh, just the strength of the guitars. And then you, you layer on that the way the lyrics are, are set up and they're basically, you know, telling off the, the people in power. Cause that was, right. that was like a factual thing. Like a pound in great Britain was made up of 20, 20 shillings and they would take And actually the highest tax bracket was the, was the uh they were getting taxed like 19 point something good out god of i think that's harrison's first like first cut where he got the opening track you think it's going to set the tone or I, I remember listening to it when i was <laughs> much younger and then it, it just kind of takes you on that ride what i noticed too when i was going back and looking at kind of more specifics with the record I started to really, I started to write down like the length of these songs, you know, and it's like this song is two minutes and 39 seconds. And it's hard for me to fathom or believe that, you know, there's very few songs on this whole record that are over three minutes. And I, you know, for the amount of storytelling and the amount of like imagery that you get yourself into with these songs i mean it's a songwriter's like you're going to a workshop it's like how are you going to make right. get their point across and 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 there's still solo breaks and there's still you know all kind all the things that you want in a good song so it's it's wonderful i fully agree i mean it really is a, a message and it, it's it's kind of a rock song right i mean it's it's not necessarily i don't take it as a, a psychedelic as much as when you get into some of the other songs it's just boom 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 i think this is really the beginning of of when i started to really notice paul mccartney's bass playing i'm a bass player myself i've been playing since 1989 and i made some not so exciting comments about paul's bass playing earlier in my career that I fully regret. I was basically like, yeah, he's okay, I guess. And as I've matured in my musical tastes, I want to eat that. There are so many things that I've said when I was a kid about certain music and musicians that I want to take back like you can't believe. One, two, three, four. <laughs> One, two. Let me tell you how it will be. One for you, 19 for me fairness too i hadn't really been exposed to a ton of it yet i mean i my my knowledge of the beatles was i want to hold your hand moving to the next song eleanor rigby paul collaborated with john ringo and george during the writing process just to just to produce it yeah. You'd like it dry, wouldn't you? Yes, you do. What do you cool. think? Where are you, Paul? Are you there? Do you want him to use? Yes. The, do you want him to use the course without the at all? Do you want to hear it? I can't hear you. What? It's just I think it means the course. I think it means the course after G. No, you mean secretary. I mean letter B, for example. Letter B. Yeah. Uh, listen to this, Paul. This is without vibrato on the on the um, on the rhythm bit. You know.
It sounds the same. It sounded better without. I thought it did actually. Yes. It sounded better it sounds better without. without. Especially if we make it more marcato. Yes. It's a slightly mm. more big mechanized for it. Let's do it without. So you only hit it right when you've got anything to say. Hot, OK. And even then, unless it unless it happens to be a long one, like for example, you've obviously got to have a brato on those shadows and turn this. But even on the, um, you know, your statements, Tony, for example, or the inner parts, keep the vibrato fairly narrow, That's not too it. wide of a vibrato. That's it. That's it. Reminds me of my breaks in there. I once took violin for a term. Deadly, isn't it? Deadly. Deadly. Right, can we do one? George is said to have thought up the, uh, oh, look at all the lonely people, like that part. Right. Um, Paul's said to have come up with the name Eleanor after working with actress Eleanor Braun in their 1965 film Help. And he later kind of chose the name Rigby after seeing it on a, a sign in a storefront. I think it was Bristol, Rigby, and Evans. And he noted that he just liked the, the two names together. What's really cool about Eleanor Rigby is this song continued really the alteration of the Beatles from a, a pop band to a more experimental studio band. So Jay, you mentioned Eleanor Rigby really stuck out to you. And I would agree like that's really in the, the deluxe version of Revolver, the remix version really plays, it has a couple tracks where they play an incredible, like just the orchestral part of Eleanor Rigby that you know, you've, you've got to check out. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I haven't I haven't purchased the big box set yet, it's but incredible. no. And out of all the songs on this whole record, I mean, this one was probably had the biggest impact on me. And again, with Taxman, you know, you get that aggressive like, "Hey, we're going to make a statement. This isn't love me do right. anymore." <laughs> right. You know what I mean? But then you come in on the second song with Eleanor Rigby, and I don't know. Like I said, this and the song in my life from Rubber Soul, with those orchestral arrangements and what George Martin did on this, and then the you know lyrically what was going on there. I don't know exactly how old I was when I first kind of like maybe eleven. Right. I had no idea what you know Father Mackenzie. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I knew that there was a very it was you know as far as song creating an atmosphere there was it you know what i mean i listened to this over and over and over again after i first heard it and it's like i didn't understand it all but as far as like sticks in your head though right kind of, yeah as far as like you know the isolation and the misunderstanding and being alone and just the, yeah i feel like i got all that and again yeah. i i even wrote the time down because i took little little notes like two nice. minutes and 30 seconds yeah how do they, how do they yeah. do that you right. know what i mean so like right. Yeah, it's just, um, it, it, it's incredible to me. Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been. Lives in a dream, waits at the window, wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Who is it for? All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? Father Mackenzie. Writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear No one comes near, look at him working Donning his socks in the night when there's nobody there What does he care, all the lonely people Where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all come from? 
That it, this was a bit of a collaborative thing, right? You know, historically, I think that they all kind of chipped yep. in a little bit. Yep. You know, yep. And I think that's cool because we're this is the we're getting in that phase of the Beatles now where they're separating. They're getting a little in little tussles and they're disappearing for a while and and they're kind of doing their own thing. Yeah. So, but th this is really cool. But yeah, I, I feel like. The string parts to me, and I, I'm really looking forward to hearing some of the, these outtakes. First time apparently that they did that. I think it was George Martin's idea, but it was the first time, and keep me honest here, but if you go back to the earlier albums, even the prior album, Rubber Soul, I don't really think that they use, they use a sitar on Rubber Soul, but they didn't do a string orchestral arrangement. The double string quartet arrangement is right. what George Martin came up with. and. Yeah, you can hear it on the deluxe edition. And then just, of course, it gives you such a different, and in my opinion, better experience when you finally then later listen to the the finished product. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm kind of a geek when it comes to that stuff. So, so am I. Of course you are. You're a musician, right? <laughs> All right, moving on to the next track, I'm Only Sleeping. And by the way, as I mentioned, like the next track, I am skipping around here a little bit. I am going in order, but I'm mentioning some of the songs here, but that's not taking away from any of the songs that we don't mention. So for any of you listeners out there that are disappointed, apologies up front, send me an email. I um, I didn't necessarily pick what I thought were the best. I just, uh, I picked a few that I thought were really interesting, but of course we could make this into a 17 hour podcast, but I wanted to be conscious of, well, you know, I'm only sleeping, which is written by John. It refers to John's love for sleep. Now I love this. When I read this, I was like, of course that makes perfect sense. Like I understand. And I know the lyrics of this song. Take two. writing process of Revolver, which again was in 1966 really, Paul would frequently have to come to the Lennon's apartment and just like rattle him out of bed. <laughs> he noted during this time that if John wasn't eating or watching television, he was sleeping for sure. The song I'm Only Sleeping features the then unique sound of two guitars, Jay, recorded over one another, but one of them was actually in reverse. Uh, so George spent approximately five hours late one night in the studio sharpening the part with the, the tape running backwards so that when reversed, it would fit what the band called a dreamlike mood. One guitar was recorded with fuzz effects, the other without. During the break before the second bridge, the sound of a yawn can be heard, which I discovered, preceded by Paul saying to, or John, sorry, saying to Paul, yawn, Paul. <laughs>
Jay, do you did you, have you done any kind of recording like that in the studio where you like you know record a guitar in reverse or backwards or anything kind of nutty or psychedelic like that? Yeah, I haven't. Although it has crossed my mind, I'm just. I, I want to get deeper into it, but because my songs are kind of, you know, in a lot of cases, a singer songwriter right. um, style thing. And then to develop those more lavish kind of like arrangements. I mean, I've done some things with, uh, we've worked some cello and some violin and some, some kind of, you know, rough or like a little bit more, I wouldn't say kind of like, a little bit psychedelic guitar on a couple different tracks but um as far as doing anything like this i feel like um i've never had the i've messed around with it in my home studio but to do it in a proper studio setting is is a little prohibitive <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. i feel like these guys just had the green light to just um you know the whatever came to mind and that was a wonderful thing because you know but they were also you know geniuses too so if, the, if right. it did cross their mind they probably could explain it to george martin and then you know somehow like, i know how to do it within yeah. like an hour or two where i'm very interested in, in looking into that as time goes on but you bring up a great point you're right these four guys there were many sessions where they were just like what about this and what about that and you know george hears it in the background george martin hears it in the background and he's just like i know what to do i can do that and they're like oh really you can yeah yeah, yeah. well isn't that going to take days no, no 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 i'll get that done in like an hour also actually jason i wanted to ask you is that a, is that a stand-up bass that paul's playing in the song I think so, but I can't. I, I, I believe it is, but I can't be 100% sure. Yeah. Quick break to talk about affiliate marketing. I've been providing reviews and marketing affiliate products for some time now. At no extra cost to you, the consumer, I earn a commission on products and services that I demo, use, purchase, and market. If you're looking to make some extra side hustle income in your life, regardless of the product, industry, or genre, you'll need to learn how and where to start. That's why I'm recommending Pat Flynn's online affiliate marketing course called 123 Affiliate Marketing. Learn the ins and outs to affiliate marketing, which is helping companies grow their customer base by legally and officially developing a partnership with them. Take Pat Flynn's course, 123 Affiliate Marketing, from the comfort of your own home or office space whenever you want. Pat Flynn is the owner and creator of SPI, or Smart Passive Income. Smart Passive Income, or SPI, is a pioneer in the entrepreneurial space, developing state-of-the-art content, training, and resources to help you launch and grow your online business. Pat and SPI focus on the needs and challenges facing entrepreneurs at every stage of their journey, whether it be a freelance career, passive income, content creation, agency business, tech startup, side hustle project, or a personal brand. Their learning and development ecosystem includes must-have guides, popular podcasts, best-in-class courses, insightful publications, and a bunch more. I took these and I strongly, strongly recommend this course. For more information, go to the tools and resources page at albumreview.net. You'll see all the Pat Flynn course information there. In a unique twist, the band would record a song of George's for the album that scared many of the pop fans away, far away. Love You Too offers their first song led by a sitar. Granny Smith song. One, two, three, four. Each day just goes so fast. I turn around, it's past. You don't get time to hang a sign on me. Love me while you can For I'm a dead old man I 
A lifetime is so short And you one can't be bored But what you've got means such a lot to me This instrument became a part of Harrison's repertoire after listening to Ravi Shankar's music. Shankar was an Indian musician, for those of you who don't know. He was also a composer and a sitarist. And George introduced the sitar to Beatles fans on an earlier song, Norwegian Wood, which we had discussed earlier was off of the album Rubber Soul. Love You Too is a, a love song to George's wife, Patty Boyd, who, by the way, would later leave George for his close friend, Eric Clapton. Um, and Clapton's... Really, his huge hit, Layla, was written about his love for Patty and how he couldn't have her at the time. So Patty Boyd was George's wife at the time. And my right. understanding is that Clapton, who was like almost best friends with George, was like just deeply in love with her. And right. he knew he couldn't have her, so he wrote that song. It might have been a little later. I can't remember exactly when Layla came out. But eventually... I, I believe I either saw it in a in a documentary or I read it somewhere that like Patty and George sat down and, and Patty was like, look, I'm in love with Eric. And Eric was like, yo, yo, dude, this is awkward. I'm sorry. And eventually, and I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but eventually, and keep me honest here, but from my recollection, George finally just said, look, I can't stand in your way. I mean, this isn't ideal, but if you guys love each other. And so... Love You Too, my understanding was that that, that that was George's kind of love song to Patty. I knew that was like a really intense love triangle. What are your thoughts about Love You Too? Because to me, it's, it's different from every other song on the album. And in many ways, it's such a left turn. And it's just, it's a di totally different vibe. Yeah, I, I feel like this is the part where, again, I think that um, McCartney and Lennon are having a little bit of split off. I feel like there's some some feelings with George where he's doing his own thing. He's experiencing the world in a, the world in a different way. And for him to have written this song and then to get the cut on the record, it's the fourth song. So it's a big deal. And like you say, it may have alienated some of the the just want to hear pop music from the Beatles, but. Uh, this one, if I remember right, there was something said where the Norwegian wood was kind of an afterthought. This mm -hmm. was a piece they put on kind of just to accent things, but it was this song where he kind of, he had taken lessons on the sitar for a long enough time where he felt confident enough to write it. This is like one of the first songs that he ever wrote and, you know, completely on the sitar. The way the, the sequencing of the tracks go here to have this song come on i it's almost it's mind-blowing to 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 just kind of listen to this in the context of what it might have been or what the listeners like here we are in 2022 we think ah oh, you know but man can you imagine being you know getting home from the record store having never heard this right right <laughs> you know yeah what I mean? like they never even heard indian music right let alone hearing this yeah i mean it, this wasn't played in the states right yeah so uh and that and it just that really struck me when i was a younger guy listening to this i was but I, th I think that like some people that was a dividing point but for me i always thought it was one of the cooler tracks on the record just because mm -hmm. i was so intrigued because mm -hmm. i hadn't heard anything like it you know what i mean yeah. and then as i got a little bit older and and dug around a little bit then you kind of understand that influence of of that style of music and Ravi shankar and i think a lot of that gets lost in the shuffle you know with the maharishi and and the different things that they were doing you forget just how musically rich that whole all that is and what an influence it had on you know george especially and i feel like that he was ready to do his own thing too you know you kind of feel like this is happening here now these guys are they're, they're all ready to express their own individualism. And it's kind of cool. Totally cool. Yeah. I, do you, you know, I'm noticing something now that I didn't think about when I was sort of pre preparing for this review. What are the, do you by any chance know the reasoning behind 
like the word to being kind of misspelled? Or is it supposed to be, I'm guessing it's supposed to be that way. I would just assume it would be love you too, but it's yeah. love you T.O. Yeah, no, I, I don't. And I did a little, I scratched around a little bit and did some research as we were leading up to the show today. And I didn't, nothing jumped out with that either. But what I did notice is on a couple different little write-ups is the words love you too are nowhere in that word sequence on the whole. Right. Lyrically, they're, those words don't appear in that order anywhere. So it was right. just, kind of, you know, yeah. one of those things that they, they threw the, put the title on there. You know? maybe, maybe it was like, I mean, I'm speculating here. Maybe it was like, love you to death. And they were like, hey, we probably shouldn't put the word death in there. Well, when the chorus is, you know, you just keep on repeating, make love all day long, make love singing songs. It's like, that probably, you know, was a little too risque for the, you know what right. I mean? Like, right. Yeah. Something to, do to, to put a title on it. But it'd be cool. Like, there's probably listeners out there that are going to comment on this that are going to give us the actual. Yep. I hope so. Yep, definitely. Yeah, it's like uh, back in the day when, you know, the Stones weren't allowed to say, let's spend the night together on Ed Sullivan. They had to change the lyrics to let's spend some time together. I could see the band sitting in a recording session and they're like, well, we can't put the word death in the title. I don't know. Who knows? I do know that this song served as one of the first examples of the Beatles really expressing an ideology aligned with, you know, that of just emerging psychedelic music genres and the, the counterculture um, like you were saying earlier it's just it's really 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 different I wouldn't even call this so much a rock song it's just so when I first got this album and I listened to it I was like wow this has got to be a George song and of course right is. so yeah um, yeah and I feel like this is kind of a you know and I don't know where it was written in relation to tax man but when you look at some of the lyrics like people standing around that'll screw you in the ground i mean you can on one hand it's like this kind of a, a bit of a renaissance with his thinking with the you know eastern philosophy and so on but it's also like those words are very tough very like to the yeah. point you know what i mean and it's not just a filler verse I, I i it's it's something he wants to say so it was like this dichotomy of like he's the one that's you know, really getting into meditation and, and Eastern, you know, philosophy and things like that. But then these lyrics appear and you can almost hear his frustration, you know, with, you know, between Taxman and this song, there's these bits and pieces where he's getting this kind of disillusioned with the, with the whole thing. guys were and how much they yeah. had been it's like yeah. how much they had lived just at 23 right i mean that was the final year that they would tour right um, and my i'm going to talk about it later but my mom actually saw them at shea stadium in 66 their final show was at uh, candlestick park in san francisco not long after that i think it was august of 66 so george one could argue 
was maybe the one who started with like, hey guys, you know, your way of being a little bit different is writing a song like Eleanor Rigby. My way of being different is to completely flip the tables over and right. bring a freaking sitar yeah. and, you know, and, and just make it sound like you're getting off the plane in, in you know, Mumbai. Just something completely different. Completely right. different. So, yeah. Yeah. He's going off in his own direction. There. Yeah. Yeah. And the band was like, all right, we'll follow you. One could say, like, you know, maybe this is really the beginning of George being like, I got I want to put more of my songs in here. And if you watch the documentary that came out last Thanksgiving weekend last year, you know, you can really see uh, there's another documentary as well that came out decades earlier, but just the, the beginning of the breakup of the Beatles. And a lot of it has to do with just, you know, each guy wanting to put their songs in there and other guys being like, well, you know, okay, we, we got to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I, I just, I find it really interesting. And George really stuck to his guns. And I would have to say my favorite Beatles solo album after they broke up was All Things Must Pass. Uh, the other ones are amazing. And it, the, 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 they're just incredible and I love them to death, but gun to my head, I would have to say all things must pass, which obviously George had been carrying those songs for, for years, um, right. which he finally wrote. So yeah, um, I would agree with you on that. On that yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ram might be my, my second Paul McCartney's Ram, but plastic Ono band is incredible. I mean, uh, we could do another whole podcast on that. So I'm going to move on to, she said, she said, because I think this is one of the coolest stories of all of the revolver songs. And I dug deep and, and read this, uh, the, the song, she said, she said, it really gives the listener more of like a rock pop taste. <laughs> if you're comparing it to love you too this is a bit of a change obviously from that the the creation of she said she said might just be i think the best story when compared to many of the song creations by the beatles so jay it goes like this i don't know if you heard this in in august of 65 the band rented a house uh in beverly hills while they were on this small break during their u.s tour and during the break they i guess hosted a few guests at this mansion one of them was roger mcguinn from the birds um david crosby who at the time was with the birds this was before crosby stills and nash or even crosby stills nash and young was even invented and then another guest that Nobody remembered inviting, which I think is hilarious. This guy named Peter Fonda. <laughs> Fonda would later, for those of you who don't know, gain fame as an actor in the film Easy Rider, also starring Jack Nicholson and Dennis Hopper. But at this point, he wasn't really well known by anybody. So apparently in 65, Jason, the, the first year John and George started experimenting with LSD, they were eager to get Paul and Ringo to join them during this short break. And Ringo and Paul were both adamant, both refusing at first. The band would later say this division kind of, you know, between the, what I would call the LSD boys and the non LSD boys created such an awkward disconnection that Ringo finally relented and joined, but apparently Paul stood his ground. So I didn't know that. I thought that was interesting. So Paul, um, I believe later did, uh, you know, later joined them, but not during this weekend. So the story goes that Peter Fonda who was also, by the way, he was a freelance writer for Rolling Stone magazine at the time. And he wrote a column in Rolling Stone, which I found, Jason, describing his experience at the Beverly Hills mansion that week. He writes, quote, I finally made my way past the kids and the guards. 
Paul and George were on the back patio and the helicopters were patrolling overhead. They were sitting at a table under an umbrella in a rather comical attempt at privacy. Soon afterward, we dropped acid and began tripping for what would prove to be all night and most of the next day. All of us, including the original birds, eventually ended up inside a huge, empty, and sunken tub in the bathroom, babbling our minds away. He goes on to write, I had the privilege of listening to the four of them sing, play around, and scheme about what they would compose and achieve. They were so enthusiastic, so full of fun. John was the wittiest and most astute. I enjoyed just hearing him speak, and there were no pretensions in his manner. He just sat around laying out lines of poetry and thinking. Just an amazing mind. He talked a lot, yet he still seemed so private. And then the last part of what Fonda writes, it was a thoroughly tripped out atmosphere because they kept finding girls hiding under tables and so forth. One snuck into the pool room through a window while an acid-fired Ringo was shooting pool with the wrong end of the pool cue. Wrong end, he'd say? So what effing difference does it make? End quote. Apparently the story, Jason goes, Lennon, Crosby, McGuinn, and Fonda later that night moved to a large bathtub and Peter Fonda told them the story of his nearly fatal self-inflicted gunshot accident when he was a kid. So now picture this, like the group, all the guys, they're peaking on acid and this story apparently freaks George out, causing him to get paranoid and then immediately begin to fear that he's dying. So Fonda continues to tell the group the story because this accident that he had as a kid, he said he knew what it was like to be dead, which I read later gave birth to those lyrics in the song, She Said, She Said, I Know What It's Like to Be Dead. John quickly urged Fonda to drop the subject saying, who put all that in your head, man? You're making me feel like I've never been born, which also ended up on the lyrical sheet for the song. scene were more familiar with doing those types of substances and i feel like something if i remember right john didn't know exactly how to react and there was a little bit of maybe a little tension between fonda and him and then he and then he took it with him and then i don't think he did anything with it for a while and then it resurfaced and then he wrote this song in a bigger sense, like the, the backstory is, I agree with you, is probably the most outrageous backstory there. You know what I mean? And then totally. to take that and, and, and write this song just shows you like what Lennon could do with just a little bit of something and then go and, 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 and do this. Exactly. On the surface, this is just based on an LSD trip and things like that. But then I think... I think George got involved a little bit in the writing here too, and there's like that, that whole existential journey and all this. It, it's all intertwined in this another song that's two and a half minutes, you know, and it's it, it really a testament to what they can do, you know. Yeah, I found an interview that Lennon did later in 1980. He said, "Quote: 
We didn't want to hear about that stuff. We were on an acid trip and the sun was shining and the girls were dancing and the whole thing was beautiful and 60s. And this guy who I didn't really know, he's obviously talking about Peter Fonda. Right. He hadn't made Easy Rider or anything. He kept coming over wearing shades saying, I know what it's like to be dead. And we kept leaving him because he was so boring. It was scary, you know, when you're flying high and I know what it's like to be dead, man. End quote. So apparently John Lennon actually ended up asking Fonda to leave the party. And then that was that was that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hadn't heard this song for a long time, but uh, I was at a government mule fan. Oh, yeah. So Warren. and there was uh, the one tour where Warren was covering this song he, and, and he played this song and it, it blew my mind. I was like, everything he does i really isn't that the best when you hear a cover of something and it makes you fall back in love with the song again it yeah and it totally didn't it 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 was um such a great version of the song and uh it it just made me think of that when we were talking about it because sometimes you have these things that are so ingrained when you're younger and then you let them go or you've got you know there's so many new things right and you know to be honest with you i had listened to so much of it when i was younger that it was you know, a lot of those bands from the early days, then I, they're there, but they're not what you listen to all the time. But yeah, that government mule, I, I wonder if it's on a live track or anything. I'll go look for it. That's awesome. Okay, it, I, I'm cool. Now you made me curious. Thanks for listening to part one of a two part review of the Beatles 1966 trailblazing work of genius revolver and thank you again to jason myrick for joining me just a reminder you can listen to jason's music on your favorite platform wherever you get your music jason's most recent album is best way to be free which you need to check out do it do it now jason's last name is spelled m-i-r-e-k he's also got some new music coming out which i'm going to feature on the podcast in the near future so stay tuned A few housekeeping items. If you're interested in any of the books or albums that I've discussed in this episode or previous episodes, go to albumreview.net and pick up a copy of your own. Listen to all my podcast album reviews at albumreview.net by obviously clicking on the podcast tab. They can also be heard wherever podcasts are available. Please follow the show on your preferred platform so you can get regular updates on new episodes and also... This one's important, guys. If you could be so kind as to pop a quick review or rate the podcasts, that helps move the needle and get the word out there. I do want to hear from you as well. Please email me your feedback, album review requests, and any questions you might have to gpotters at albumreview.net. That's G-P-O-T-T-E-R-S at albumreview.net. If you'd like to get regular updates on reviews, interviews, products, and music news, Go to the homepage and join the mailing list. Stay tuned for updates on Instagram and Facebook. And as of November of 2022, we are now on TikTok. Yeah, I did it. I know. I know. Shut up. I know. You can find me at Album Review Net. Stay tuned for part two of this review of Revolver coming at you soon. So keep refreshing your feed and just read and listen. Well, I'm going to France in about two months, so I'm practicing my French right now, which is horrible, by the way. So, au revoir. Rendez-vous dans le prochain épisode du podcast. So that's, uh, see you on the next podcast episode, uh, in case uh, you guys didn't know that. All right, later. trip down by the highway take a 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 trip down